Happy New Year and welcome to the Power of Three podcast, the podcast that's too broad and too deep for the small screen. We are here today to discuss the new adventures, those books published in the 1990s when Doctor Who was off air and what has become known as the Wilderness Years. But it's not just me here to talk about it, it's Dr. John Bolin. Hello, John. Hi, everyone. And uh, yeah, a very happy new year to you. And a happy new year to you, John. So, John, gosh, I think a couple of years ago, myself and Dave, during lockdown, we went for a walk in Queen's Park in Glasgow. And we just started chatting about the new adventures. And there and then on the spot, we thought, what the hell? Let's have a chat about the new adventures and how much we enjoyed them and what were our highs and lows and the ones that sprang to mind. So were you much of a new adventures reader in the 90s? I dipped into a few of them. If you remember in our Christmas special from a couple of weeks ago, Dave was talking about how wonderful it was in Glasgow to have borders and you know you could always while away a few minutes or hours even before your train popping into mm-hmm. borders late and having a route around the books. And um, that's where I first came across the, the new adventures. Obviously, as you mentioned, the show was no longer on the screen and it had gone into sort of a, well, I had gone into sort of a wilderness period. I was, you know, my head was was in other places. Uh, I was living abroad at the time as well. So it was only when I was back home for the summer holidays that I, that I had a chance to kind of reconnect with things, but I'd allowed my Doctor Who magazine subscription to subside. I'd, you know, really, you know, not not really in the in the in the TARDIS zone or in the death zone. <laughs> uh, it. But it was one one time where I was waiting for for a train. And I thought oh, I want to pop into into to Borders and have a wee browse. And I noticed in the Doctor Who and the science fiction section these unusual spines that I hadn't seen before. So I pulled out a couple of them, and uh, <laughs> I looked for the ones with covers that I would recognise. And and so uh, it was the the glorious um, female Silurian astride a, a, a dinosaur on the cover of Blood Heat that drew my attention. Um, so that was that was really it uh, for me. I thought, well, well I'll, I'll buy this and I'll dip into it. And I enjoyed it, but I was very aware that I was coming into the middle of a, of a narrative that I had not really picked up on from the, from the start. So I guess that was for me, you know, that, that kind of determined how I approached the new adventures. I suppose a bit of me was much more with the missing adventures because they were wow they were much more recognizably from within the the narrative art of the tv show itself but i would dip back in and out particularly uh, and it sounds really superficial and you say you should never judge a book by by its cover but you know the 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 ones who covers appealed to me they were the ones i tended to go for either because there was something on it that i recognized like a like an ice warrior or it just looked so wonderfully bonkers, like the kind of the sci-fi novel covers of the 1960s, um, well, the ones from America anyway, that, that really grabbed my uh, attention. And I think that's interesting because if we're talking about, you know, the, the, the new book by David J. Howe, and celebrating the, the art of these books, that for me was one of the main things that grabbed my attention. Yeah, because this book, as you just mentioned, it's fantastic. I got it just before Christmas. I was one of the first people to order it. And it is, it's just the incredible bit of illustrations, nice crystal clear, they're without the, you get some with the cover art, you get the cover art, but it's clear without any of the transparencies put on top with the new adventures range and the title. And it's quite fantastic going through original cover sketches and how they developed and things like that. There's uh, just, I'm holding up which the, the lovely listeners at home 
can't see, but there's Time's Crucible Cat's Cradle and how it evolved from a sketch of Ace with the, the process, I believe it was called in the background, to ultimately the final version by Peter Elson of Ace pushing a bike. So it's quite, it's comprehensive. There's some great quotes. There's all new interviews, profiles of the writers, little bits of trivia, cover sketches and roughs, and biographies of the, the artists. And yeah, it's, it's fab. It's really well presented. Beautiful, beautiful hardback book. Well, order your you own are, copy. You are a scunner as well. We'd have to explain that to any listeners south of the border. True. <clears throat> Refer them to Supergran and Scunner Campbell, then you should get the message. That's absolutely right. Can I just brown nose slightly by saying that uh, it's an enormous privilege? Well, it's an enormous privilege to talk to you, of course, at any time. Uh, but to be included uh, in a, in a a podcast with with David Howe is a is a real honour. When I started to get back into Doctor Who uh, off the back of the the Virgin publications, uh, his wonderful kind of encyclopedic output was magnificent. That really, so I I, I, I snaffled them all, and they were mm-hmm. they were a real stone back into into Doctor Who during those wilderness years you know yeah the so, handbooks were great and the 60s the 70s yeah. and the 80s just seminal texts that i think i mean i remember getting those every christmas 60s 70s and 80s and they were just perfect reading throughout christmas day boxing day and i'd read them twice because there was just so much in them read the words and then go back and look at all the gorgeous visuals and i have to say this book is exactly the same yeah yeah so it's a privilege Oh, it's an honour to have you on, John. It's, see, I was, um, I bought them all. I started buying them when I was in secondary school. And by the time they finished in May 97, I'd been working for three and a half, or nearly three years, which is quite a scary thought. Um, so they were a big part of my, sort of my youth and my growing up, because we would buy them. I was in the Edinburgh Doctor Who group and the Glasgow one. And we'd be buying the books, we'd be reading them. And you're reading them quickly so we could discuss them in the pub on the Monday night in the Edinburgh group's case and the Saturday in Glasgow. And it was quite interesting just to be able to get all these perspectives, different perspectives on books. We'd some that I think initially I really did not get what Paul Cornell was doing because I was very much in the, I want the Terence Dick style of storytelling. I want the Mark Gatiss, the effectively the you know, evoking TV periods that I like the most without pushing the envelope. Yeah. It was that ghastly phrase. But then as time went by and I grew up, I'm sort of growing, literally growing up with these books, could appreciate what they were doing. And when it came to human nature, then I absolutely was, yep, completely get it. And I think I went back and reread everything around that point. And just so I was, yep, I read them with completely different eyes than, than when my 17 year old self had been when the range mm-hmm. started. So it's quite fascinating yeah. to do. And I've got, I still got all my books. I've got them in a nice, Nice boxes preserved carefully in the loft, waterproof, watertight, sealed. Mm. As we've discovered, uh, a leak in the roof just before Christmas. Great, which has thankfully been fixed. And just having them there, it's, it's, a, it's a part of my sort of my growing up. And uh, you can see some of them are slightly more yellowed along the top where the sunlight got them. And uh, yeah, I'm quite uh, quite proud of my complete collection of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good point, Kenny, that, that you know, there's, there's that kind of Terence Dick's target nostalgia, but what's really interesting about it is the sense that these 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 writers are the legacy of Terence Dick's. You know that he he inspired them to read and to write in the first place, and it's almost kind of saying, well, okay, see what you do with it now. And so all of these 
very well-known figures, you know, you've got your Mark Gatiss, you've got your Paul Cornell, you've got your um, Russell T. Davis, in fact, as well. You know, all of these people who went on to play a part, either in writing the the resurrected show from 2005 onwards or who became stalwarts of um, Big Finish, you can really see that that kind of transition from the kind of the childhood love and appreciation of the, of the novelizations through to this much more, yeah, to an extent, grittier, more challenging storylines. Uh, even in like um, damaged goods, there was even a, a sex scene of sorts. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thought? So <laughs> I still haven't recovered from it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so, so, so there, that's that's artificial intelligence trying to uh, listen in on me there. <laughs> yes, but, but but I thought that was that was you know in, interesting that you can sort of see this continuity from the novelizations, although they do go into new territory and they develop new new characters. There's still a bit of, of Uncle Terence's DNA uh, in, in there in there as well, which I thought was really quite good. And just was what, what a colossal figure he was and continues to be. Yeah, I mean, his new adventures are always solid. They're always good, entertaining stories. They're not going to be too broad and too deep, really. Uh, although, that said, Exodus has got some fascinating set pieces in it and very very good book but yeah i still look back on them with a hell of a lot of nostalgia and they're very proud to have you know, sort of been there during the period and sort of followed them i think at one point i did stop buying them i think it must have been like for a five or six month period before um the 50th one happy endings came out and then it was an october week and i was i just took a week off work and my mum and dad had left their caravan down in port william down in the south of scotland so I bought up the new adventures that I hadn't got and got them in John Menzies and East Bride and bought them, took them away and just read one a day and was up to date. And that was me re-enthused and all ready for the arrival. In fact, really was the departure of Benny and the arrival of her husband, Jason Kane, in Happy Endings and Death and Diplomacy, the one before. So yeah, a great range. And I think it's time to hear from David to tell us how the book came about. I'm David J. Howe. Doctor Who writer researcher, um, and I'm the author of the book The Who Adventures, um, which has literally just come out, just been published. Yep, by Telos, of course, but we can plug that later on. Yeah. I suppose, like myself, you were a fan of the books back in the day. Um, yes, I was. Um, I mean, obviously, at that time, which was kind of like towards the, it was sort of like the, the, the early 90s, Virgin was also obviously publishing my own books. So, so like the handbooks and the 60s, 70s, and the stuff that I was co-writing with um, Stephen and Mark. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I was getting all of the new adventures and so on and so on, um, and that was the fiction strand that was happening at the time that we were obviously doing all the research and the reference books on the, on the classic series, as it was then. So, yeah, no, I, I, thought, I thought they were great. I mean, it was, it was nice to have original Doctor Who, you know, um, but original Doctor Who of a form, where it was kind of almost recognisable as real Doctor Who. I mean, the, re- the reason I say that is that obviously we've had sort of fictional Doctor Who, as it were, um, right way back since the 60s, and things like you know, the invasion of space and, and the stories in the Doctor Who annuals and TV comic and all of that kind of thing. So there's, there's always been, you know, sort of non-television Doctor Who out there, um, but it never quite felt like, you know, television Doctor Who. It, it always seemed to be written by people that had never seen the series and didn't have a clue as, as to how it worked or, or what, what the tropes were or anything. And, but the new adventures obviously were, were by and large written by fans of the show. So there was a good grasp of what the show was, what it meant, how it ticked and so on and so on. 
So you've got books which tended to feel a bit more like real Doctor Who than, than perhaps we'd, we'd had previously. Um, but yeah, no, I thought they were great. I, I loved them. Did you have any particular favourites? Oh, goodness sake. I don't think I did, to be honest. Not really. I, I, re I remember really enjoying Terra Six's one, the first um, um, kind of Nazi England sort of. I remember. I remember quite liking that one. Yeah, Exodus um, is great. And I enjoyed Nightshade. I thought Nightshade was great, the Mark Gatiss one. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was, it was an interesting interesting time. I wouldn't say that I was you know, like an enormous fan of the book. You know, I enjoyed them. I thought they were quite fun. And I thought what they did with them was quite clever in order to try and keep it going. But I don't think I, I wasn't a particular fan of the way they tried to sort of link them all together all the time. That didn't really appeal to me. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think sort of in, individual books were good as, as, as it sort of progressed. <laughs> yeah. I think that it was quite incredible how it really is sort of like an era of Doctor Who in its own now. And of course, you came to sort of feature that when you did what became the genesis of this book, really, in the Doctor Who magazine feature. That's right, yeah. So, you know, way back in the day, and we're talking, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago now, I lose track. I, don't, I can't remember how long it was. Doctor Who magazine commissioned me to write a series of articles on the Target book of the history of the range and stuff but i think that ran over about three or four issues way back in the day and that of course those those articles became the backbone to my book the target book because having written the stuff doctor magazine i thought well i've got this line around here i might as well do something with it i mean the articles might have been 20 years ago the target book came out 10 years ago <laughs> so looking a long time ago so i i've done the target book off the back of the articles of Doctor magazine on target books and then once we've done the target books of the magazine, um, they commissioned me to do sort of like similar articles on the new and missing adventures. So again, I think that ran over two or three issues, might even be four issues, three issues on the new adventures and one on the missing adventures. So again, I did a lot of the research back then and wrote the articles. Uh, and in a similar way, I had those articles sitting around. And I always wanted to do a book on the new adventures. And that, that was always kind of in the back of my mind. And obviously I had the stuff that I'd done when I wrote those articles, so I, I had that text. But moreover, over the years, because I was obviously writing for Virgin at the time, I had a degree of access to kind of unused sketches and images and pictures and all sorts of stuff uh, that I just collected over the years. This all ended up in a box somewhere. And then when Virgin was kind of winding down, so in, in, the, in the latter days of, of the 20th century, latter days of the 1900s, 1999s and stuff, Peter got me access to come and have a look through the actual Virgin files. So um, I remember they were all stored in the attic in, in the Virgin offices. And, and I had to literally go up a ladder into the attic to find these boxes, box files, things that they'd sort of thrown up there from all of these books. And I went through them and I took copies of everything that seemed interesting and there were lots of lots of imagery there and all sorts of stuff that I, just, I kind of just took copies of and stuff um, with Peter's blessing. And then at the end of it all, Peter basically gave me his transparency library. So all the transparencies that he kind of kept from the Target books and Virgin books and everything like that, the Doctor Who stuff, he, let, he said, well, you might as well have it because, you know, Virgin's basically closing the whole division 
they're just going to chuck all the stuff in the bin. You know, you might you might as well have it. You think it might be useful. So I thought, oh, thank you very much. Yes, that's brilliant. Yes, I'll look after that for you. So I ended up with all of that lot. And then all of this stuff, and through various house moves and, and life changes and God knows what, this stuff all got lost in boxes for about 10 years ago. And, and I found it again in, we're in lockdown. I've got nothing to do. I didn't have a job at that point. And so I thought, well, I'll go through these boxes and I'll do some tidying up and stuff. And I found all of this great stuff from Virgin in those boxes. And I thought, well, let's, let's get it all scanned. Let's get it all put together. Let's collate all this stuff together. Let's get my text. Let's pull the whole thing together and let's get this book kind of underway. Um, and so that's what I did, was, was pulling all the bits and bobs that go to make the book together, scanning everything. That took me to about, I think, July, August, July, something like that, to get it all together. And then I had, I spent the last six months of the year basically getting permission to use everything. Mm-hmm. Because it's just because you've got all these pictures and images and, and all of this stuff that you collect together doesn't automatically mean that you can use them. You, you need permission. So I reached out to all the original artists, everyone I could find. Um, there were bits of text that I wanted to use. So I reached out to the authors and everybody I could, I could reach out to, reached out to everybody. And we got permission, pretty much all of it from all the artists and authors and stuff by about December. And then I think in January, Steve Walker started laying the book out and obviously collating then all the bits into, into the book and pulling in lots and lots of other stuff as well. And Steve did an incredible amount of work in kind of adding um, additional information and, and bits and pieces of facts and figures and stuff into it as he did the layout. And it, it was great that he had the knowledge to be able to do that because I think it, it all goes to make the book um, far better uh, as an overall product if the person that's doing the layout understands the subject matter. What I'm trying to get at, Kenny, is that you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've got a little bit of a white space, yeah, if you know the subject matter, you can write a caption which will fill that white space quite nicely. Yep. If your layout person knows nothing at all about it, what happens is if you get the layout back, and then I would have to go through and get that, writing captions of the right length to fill the space. And it becomes so much more complicated trying to do it. But Steve was able to um, you know, do all of that himself. And then obviously I checked all through as he did it. And, and we ended up with the book as you see it. I'm, I'm so pleased with the way it all came out, packing all the information in. I don't yeah. think there was anything that Steve wasn't able to include. I mean, all the stuff we had permission for and all the sketches and everything, he managed to cram it all in somewhere. And that was absolutely brilliant, you know, because I was a little bit concerned. But again, when, when, you, when you write a book like this, it's very illustrated. You've got all this illustration. You're never quite sure if it's all going to fit. And you, you give it all to the designer. And then sometimes you'll get a book back and they've only used half of it. And you have to then go through and go, oh, I'd rather you'd have used that one than that one because that one's really common but that one actually is the one that nobody's seen so you know but Steve managed to actually fit all the stuff in so uh, no I was very very pleased with the way it all came together very happy indeed yeah because I think there's there's the fantastic wee bits just like the wee box outs from TSV courtesy of Paul Schoons Paul was very very helpful Um, he offered to proofread the whole thing which he did and gave us some uh, feedback on a couple of glitches and stuff but yeah, but moreover, TSV, which is Time Space Visualizer, which is a fanzine that Paul, I don't know if he published it. I think it might have been John Preddle published it. I, I get confused, but he certainly was a, a major contributor uh, and influence in, in Time Space Visualizer down in New Zealand. 
uh, back in the day, was an incredible factual fanzine full of all sorts of interesting bits and bobs. It, it ran to sort of 70, 80 issues. I mean, an incredible resource. Uh, but in, in among all of that, they were interviewing the New Adventures authors, they were publishing little fact boxes and behind the scenes and all sorts of bits and bobs about it. When I was doing my research, I found all this and I thought, well, it would be a bit disingenuous of me just to literally steal it all and to claim that this was all kind of stuff that I'd done. So I went to Paul and I said, look, would you mind if, if we literally just used this stuff out of PSV, credited to PSV, you know, and your good self who wrote it all, um, and just use it like that? Because then it, it's fair because we're crediting the source and everything. So that's what we did. And Paul was kind enough to allow us to do that as well. So we had an awful lot of help and kindness from a lot of people to enable us to use all of the information uh, and everything like that. But yeah, those little box outs were great. Um, and we didn't have them for every book, but I thought they, they were there for sufficient of them to make it worthwhile to, to add the little bits of facts and figures and stuff in. What I like about these books and what I liked about Target Book when I did that is that, yes, you've got a book which in and of itself, the text presents you with a history of whatever the thing is, in this instance, the new adventure. But you've then got all of the artwork and the sketches. So it's also an art book. So you've got all this beautiful artwork to look at. And you can see the development of the covers and the ideas and stuff like that. But then you pepper it with all these little box outs, the facts and figures and details and bits and bobs, so that as you go through it, you're almost constantly bombarded with bits and pieces, hopefully some of which you might not have known or forgotten, that makes the whole thing seem to come alive somehow. And I really like that about a book, because if you don't, if you don't take that extra step, the book can tend to be a little bit bland. Yes, it's a book of beautiful pictures. Great. You know, yes, it's a history book. Great. But if you combine the two and you add in all those facts and figures and stuff, you then end up with something which is a little bit more special, which is dip into a ball. Is that a word? Dip into the ball? <laughs> as well as readable, as well as a coffee table book. So I was very pleased with how all of that, all of that came together. Yeah, I mean, I particularly like the fact that it's so comprehensive. There's the Phil Bevan Prelude illustrations from Doctor Who magazine as well. So it really is absolutely That's complete. Right. Well, I, I knew I knew I wanted to try and pull in as much new adventures related material as I could. So, yeah, obviously we had all the stuff that was actually in the books. So obviously a few of the books had frontage pieces, had illustrations within the books that had been included and so on and so forth, which was great. But also I was aware about those preludes from Doctor Who magazine um, that had been published um, with, with Phil Bevan, gorgeous artwork. And I've always long been a fan of Phil's artwork. So I reached out, in fact, it was Jeremy Bentham who put me in touch. I reached out to Kit Bevan, who's Phil's brother. Phil died, sadly, some time back now. So he's no longer around. But Kit, again, was generous enough to say, yep, you can use you know, all, all of the artwork of Phil's in the book. And I think it really helps to sort of, as you go through the different books and through the history of the series, Phil's artwork helps to sort of fill in a lot of gaps and it, and it, it provides a lot of visual interest, I think, on the pages as we went through. So, so that was great. I mean, somebody said to me, why, why didn't you use the actual preludes themselves, you know, from Doctor Who magazine? You know, why didn't you actually reproduce those? Well, the, the purpose of this book, like a lot of the books that I do, you know, it is the history of the range. It's not intended to sort of replace it or to you know, reproduce it or anything like that. So I, I felt that in, in a way, reproducing the, the prologues, uh, for people that don't know, it was each book, um, the author of the book would write like a two-page 
prologue, so like a little bit of text of, of what happened beforehand, before the book started kind of thing. It's fiction for Doctor Who magazine, there's like a PR for each of the books. So I felt it wouldn't really be appropriate to publish fiction in this book, because this is not a fiction book, non-fiction book. Secondly, of course, I would have had to have got permission from every single one of the authors to reproduce the text. Um, and that starts to then get a little bit difficult because, of course, this is an unlicensed book. We don't have permission to use the Doctor in fiction or anything like that from the BBC. So again, you would potentially start to run into problems if you start to try and you know, reproduce the fiction itself because we're not likely to do that. We reason that all of the imagery is basically from the book covers, so it's public, well, public domain. It's owned by the artist, basically, so effectively public domain because it's put on the book covers and stuff. Um, and we got permission to use all of that from the artist anyway. So <laughs> I was happy with, with what we managed to achieve in that regard. But yeah, I decided not, not to go with the prologue for those reasons. But, you know, it's, I suppose it's a bit of a fine line, but he's not on the side of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And just be talking of the artwork there, it's quite incredible just as I'm, I'm just looking at my copy just now, just to yeah. see the clean versions of the artwork without the, without, you know, yeah. before they became the finished transparencies with the logos and book titles on them. And there's some amazing detail that's gone into these. It's absolutely incredible. Absolutely. I, well, I've long been a fan of, of the Doctor Who artwork, obviously from the Target book. Um, I love the Target artwork and stuff like that. Obviously, I, I own a fair few of the pieces as well. I always loved the original artwork. And yeah, it, it was great to be able to reproduce as many as we could find of the actual unadorned original artwork. Unfortunately, there were some pieces which we just couldn't locate. Um, the artists don't have them anymore. And obviously there was no way of finding them. And I didn't have transparencies of them um, from the archives that Peter left me as well. So it's unfortunate that, you know, some of them we didn't have. But obviously we have reproduced every book cover whether it as an unadorned piece of artwork or as a full page actual reproduction of the book with all the logos and stuff and where the artwork didn't exist in this book. So we've kind of covered everything. Plus, of course, we've also included all of where we had them again, um, sketches and ideas, development art for the covers and indeed the interior art as well. And the other thing that Steve suggested um, when he started to lay out was, well, when we get to the kind of the end of the story of the new adventure, it doesn't actually end there. Because, of course, a number of them are reprinted on the BBC website and they were given new artwork and new covers, in inverted commas, um, even though it was obviously on the website, they still created book covers for them. So he said, well, let's see if we can get permission to reproduce all of that lot in here as well. So again, we did. And so we did. So we've got the full history here, including all of that artwork that was on the website uh, for the various books. I mean, we also then carry on the story slightly into, you know, well, what happened later. And obviously, you've then got the finish adaptations of some of them. You've got the Benny Summerfield books, which are some audios and stuff, which span off uh, what was going on. There's other factual guides about the books from like um, ATV Press. And, uh, and I think you might have done one for Big Finish, didn't you? The Benny Summerfield. That was book. Simon Guerrier did that one, but uh, I, I did some of it in the Big Finish Companion volume too. You did, didn't you? Yeah. So there's been lots of things that have kind of touched on it um, after the event. And so we, we again, we tried to be all inclusive and to try and pull in as much of that as possible where it was related to the actual new adventures. Because again, the intent of this book was, was not to, you know, duplicate Simon's great book on Benny that Big, Big finished it. What's the point? He, he's already done it. You know, there's a great book there with lots of stuff in it. I don't want to reproduce all that. 
you know, plus the connection becomes a bit more tenuous because actually the vast majority of the Benny stuff, the big thing, has got nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with the new adventures. You know, it's just a continuation of the character kind of thing. So we, we include all of that stuff. And it, even down to, you know, remembering that there was a fanzine called Broadsword, which was the new adventures fanzine back in the day. And so I, I tracked down Richard and I can't say his second name, Prisoner of the Flat in Australia. And I've got a, a quote from him about what he was like he was trying to do with us, and that was lovely. The fanzine was covered. And then I think it was quite late on, I suddenly remembered I was reading something online, um, just idly. And I suddenly remembered that there were two CDs done by Adrian Pack and Michael Phillips, mm-hmm. um, which were inspired by the new adventure. And there was, it was just music inspired by the novels. And I thought, ah, oh, I've got to do a box out on that. You know, so we added it a bit on the, on the two records that came out. So I, I hope that, you know, wherever and whenever the New Adventures inspired stuff it is referenced somewhere in the book, in a box out or a picture or a caption or something we've included. Even down to, I mean, when I was doing the book, foreign editions of some of the New Adventures, the New Adventures, when they reprinted them, they were then reprinted in Germany. And I think one of them, that's from Saruman Shankar, it must be, wasn't reprinted until September 2021. So of course that was now when I when we were laying this book out, putting it all together, because the book was around about June, July. So um, luckily I found a cover online and I was able to include it in the book and so on and so on. So you know we tried our best to make sure it was as up to date as we could possibly get it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Two of the things that I most enjoyed as somebody who absolutely loved the books. Number one, the I think was it the Hungarian cover for Times Crucible which used artwork from another book entirely. And number two, the absolute sheer awfulness of the yellow background cover for Christmas and the Rational Planet, which I'd never seen in colour before. Uh, yes, uh, as I think it says in the text, it, it, it wasn't a bad idea in and of itself, the Christmas on the Rational Planet cover. And in fact, in the book, you can see that Lawrence Miles actually sketched it out. As a, a, he sent a, a page of sketches over of ideas and stuff, and that's one of the things he suggested and obviously they thought that was a kind of quite a nice idea but then they gave it to the artist who was from Jeff Cummins and, and I think Jeff struggled gamely with it and delivered something that was absolutely on point for brief uh, but which just didn't really work as a cover mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't until they saw the final kind of thing that obviously somebody in Virgin thought do you know I'm really not sure this is working I'm really not sure that this is achieving one and so they got um, McPosen to very hurriedly create a different cover for the actual published book. But yeah, there's all sorts of little things like that can happen. And I think, as, as Rebecca Levine says in it, it, you know, it was a, it was a nice idea, an okay brief, but they should have spotted earlier that it just wasn't going to work before they actually got the artist to sort of deliver on the brief and everything. Yeah, so that so that was nice. And then, as you say, that Hungarian cover is very odd. I still couldn't quite get to the bottom of that. During the research, I did actually try and find an email, the translator of the yep. book, to try and get more information. The publishers don't appear to exist anymore, or at least I couldn't find them. I think I, again, I emailed a couple of email addresses, which might have been them, but again, no replies to anything. So no, I, I don't know why they, why they chose to do that book, which was a very odd choice to pick. I think, as it says, the, the book in Hungarian, when it came out, was numbered number one. So presumably there was some intention 
of doing more of them back back at the time. Why they didn't do any more, I have no idea. You know, why why they didn't use the original artwork, I have no idea. Why they chose to use a piece of artwork by by Tim White for a completely different book, and then claim that the artwork was by another artist entirely. It's, it's all very, very strange. And it just all smacks to me of a publisher that was just kind of, yeehaw, you know, we just use that artwork. We'll call it by, they'll never know. They'll never realize, you know, no one will ever find this out. But ha we did. But yeah, very, very fascinating that. Yeah. Well, I think you can tell that uh, when we spoke previously, I told you how much I was looking forward to it. And I can say it more than surpassed my expectations and hopes. And I've had a thoroughly fantastic time reading it over Christmas. Yeah, absolutely comprehensive. The only thing that I know, I mean, this may not be true, but I just remember an alternative title for Happy Endings. Somebody told me at the time it may have added a working title for about 12 hours of frock opera. But there we go. That may or may not have been true. When I went through, as I mentioned, the Virgin Files, as I said, I took photocopies of an awful lot of early outlines and, and yep. pieces of information and stuff. A frock opera, as far as I'm aware, doesn't appear on any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it may have been an offhand comment from Paul Cornell, you know, back in the day as a bit of a joke. Or, yes, yep. as you say, it, it might have appeared in one email or something that he sent to them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it, it doesn't appear on, on any of the paperwork. Yeah, actually seems. So, uh, yeah, that was amusing. Daft, but there we go. David, it's been an absolute pleasure. And for those who haven't got a copy of the book, could you let them know where they can find it and order it? Absolutely. So if you're interested in getting a copy of The Who Adventures, it's currently available from Telos Publishing, which is www.telos, that's T-E-L-O-S, telos.co.uk. All copies ordered direct from Telos are signed by my good self, so it'll be a fine copy. We apologise in advance for the cost of postage to overseas, but that's how much it costs to send books to Australia and America, and there's not a lot we can do about that. So yeah, so it's available now. Uh, we've got copies in literally kind of two weeks before Christmas. Uh, the whole thing was delayed by about a month in transit, which was really, really annoying. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to have it out a lot earlier than that, but we managed to kill ourselves just before Christmas <laughs> trying to mail out all these copies. Yeah. Uh, and we managed so hopefully, if they haven't arrived already, they'll be uh, arriving very soon. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, very, very pleased with it. And uh, thank you for the good comments, Kenny. I mean, uh, generally speaking, all the comments I've seen online have been very positive. So yeah. it seems to be the right note. So that, that's lovely. Yeah, it seems ironic that it's been delayed in transit being a new adventures title, but there we go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At least, at least it wasn't so violent in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, at least you've written more than 10,000 words. Well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, it's been a, an absolute joy and a pleasure, and all the best to you and yours in 2022. Cheers, mate, and have a very happy new year to all the listeners. As David said, if you're looking for a copy of the book, it's on www.telos.co.uk, and I can heartily recommend it as a bloody good read, and it is very easy on the eye as well. So effectively, you can read it twice. You can read it for the book or look at it for the illustrations even. And with all the wee box outs, there's plenty of trivial facts in there. If you've got a brain like mine, you'll just absorb them and love them. So are you tempted to buy a copy? Absolutely, yes. I had attempted to get one before, but there was, of course, I was being lazy and corporate commercial and I was on Amazon and they didn't have any. 
but well, I will. But it was it was sold out or currently available. But I will go straight on to tell us. Absolutely, and you can you can tell us all about it in a future episode. Ah, uh, see what you did there. Anyway, if you're looking to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at Finished Zine, and you can see what I'm on about with podcasts and similar nonsense and stuff. John. Well, if you're foolish enough to want to look at pictures of my dog or my other inane rantings, then you can find me on Twitter at Dr. J McGB. Uh, I'm sure we should put this in the programme notes so that you can link directly, because I don't even know how to spell it myself anymore. <laughs> well, in that case, I would suggest that you do get some spelling lessons, because it's quite simple. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, John, it's been lovely to see you and chat. Lovely to see you too, yeah. Yeah, and we should be back very soon to do some more new adventuring in the worlds of Doctor Who. But before we go, Kenny, can I ask you a question? Of course you can. What are you going to play us out with in this first podcast of the year 2022? What have you got up your sleeve for us? Well, John, I'm glad you asked me that. Really, we could play anything by Genesis, which would, of course, please Tom Harris. We could have had a couple of tracks from Madonna. There's Human Nature and Sanctuary. Or another of my favourite groups, Steps. They did Tragedy, although it isn't actually Tragedy Day. And of course, Paul Cornell wrote No Future, which had a working title of Anarchy in the UK. But I don't think our audience will be big fans of the Six Pistols, so I don't want to give you that. Instead, we're going with a track from my second favourite group of all time, Pulp, and comes from the 1994 album His and Hers. Here's Happy Endings. Oh, imagine film your star and pretty soon we're coming to the part where you realize that you should give your heart oh give your heart to me and now the orchestra begins to make a sound that goes round and round and round and round and round and round and round Round and round again And we kiss to violence Oh, some sad people I believe in that, I guess Oh, but we know better, don't we? We know all about the mess The aftermath of our affair Is lying all around And I can't clear it away There's somebody who is just your kind Oh, it might take you a little time But I'm gonna have to try Oh yeah, I'm gonna try And I You once said that you liked happy endings Happy endings And no one can ever know if it's gonna work But if you try, if you try Then you might get your Thank you.
wish you like happy endings. Happy endings.